The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're uh, in gospel in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, and I will read for us from verses 10 to 21. So here we are. 10 Now, he was teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself, and when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hand upon her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrite! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a woman of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced in the glorious things that were done by him. And he therefore said, What is the kingdom of God like? And to whom shall I compare it? Or to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nests in its branches. And he again said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Father, as we look at your word and consider the heart of Jesus, we pray that we would experience his compassion and be liberated into his rest. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, there's some dynamics going on here at the Hope Center. So if you're not aware, Keith Howard, um, who's been the director, executive director of the Hope Center, um, was diagnosed with cancer almost two weeks ago at this point and uh, immediately resigned to be able to focus on his health and recovery. So I uh, I also served as the chair of the board here at the Recovery Center, and so I've kind of stepped in to fill some of the leadership gaps um, here at the center, and so I was in a staff meeting with Keith recently, and it reminded me of this passage, because what Keith is effectively doing is kind of having his, like, goodbye conversations with people. And he, I sat in with a staff meeting this week where he was basically explaining, like, look, here's the situation. Um, I care about each of you, but I need to step away for, to focus on my health. And he was kind of relaying a little bit of the heart of his passion for recovery. Now, you have to understand, um, the Hope Center as an as a entity, we meet here every week. And I think we can kind of take for granted that this is what a recovery center is like. But this is a very unique animal in the whole landscape of recovery centers, at least in New Hampshire, if not in the region of northern New England. Um, most kind of recovery centers tend to be more c- clinical in the sense of 
there's you know common area space, but really you come to the recovery center to meet with your recovery coach and you have an appointment at three o'clock and you're done by 3.50, they file their paperwork and they have an appointment at four o'clock. Nothing wrong with that model at all. Like that's a very effective model and, and um, works w very well for people. But the, they tend to not have a community focus, right? Like we have all this artwork here that represents kind of the art therapy of people in recovery. That's absolutely unique. Even this fact that this is a common space with a big enough space for us to have a meeting this is all very unique, and it's largely due to Keith's leadership and how he thinks about recovery and community. And so as he's having these closing staff meetings with people, this last week, one of the ones that he had was um, with, the, with the broad staff, and just basically was kind of saying, like, look, the most important thing about recovery, what makes it tick, is the beauty of having personal interactions with people. He was like, it's, it's a beautiful thing for us to have a meaningful engagement. And he's like, I know this is kind of sappy and a bit of like a cat poster, but it is the, the reality that love is the way in which we help people find recovery. And I was struck by hearing him articulate that because it's true, but also it is in fact the simplicity of just doing the things that we all kind of know. Like it's not like a... You could get really into a complex business plan for what a recovery center looks like. But if you break it down, it's that, that w what helps people find and walk in recovery is loving them and valuing them as a person. In a certain sense, it's similar to what we have here with Jesus. He has been laying out what does it look like to be a disciple. And he's been interacting with Israel and calling them to reconsider what it means to be the people of God, to be the kingdom of God. You've done it one way, you know, we could say, like, you've done it the clinical model. <laughs> you have to move into this new model, this new idea of what it means to be the people of God. And so to do that, Jesus uses this opportunity of a simple woman coming to worship on Sabbath, Saturday for them, and using that as a moment to speak to what is the basic idea of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. So that's what we have here in our passage. So we're just going to kind of break this down into three parts, but we're going to see in the midst of all of this, the main idea, Jesus' quiet kingdom liberates us into his renewing rest. Um, by the way, if you do have questions, obviously you can text them, they'll come to my phone, standard stuff. But Jesus' point in this whole situation is the simple woman simply worshiping God and Jesus stepping in to say, God sees you. And God is full of an infinite amount of compassion. And that's the purpose of what it means to be in God's presence, is to experience his compassion and to be liberated by that compassion. So we're going to pick up, pick up here in verse 10 to 13, and we're going to see how Jesus meets us in quiet habits. That's kind of the first step in understanding this main idea. So we're going to see here... Jesus meets us in our quiet habits. Verse 10 to 13. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She would bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Now, 
Later in this passage, Jesus is going to make reference to um, being liberated from Satan. So the question is, like, what is this whole experience that this woman has? It says it's a disability. Uh, she's bent over. Does that mean that all disabilities are demonic or something like that? And that's not what the passage is saying at all. The idea is that basically the world experiences difficulty, brokenness, because of just kind of like the general domain of Satan, darkness, things that are against God. Not that this person and her disability are specifically a demonic thing. So that's kind of the general idea here. Some have speculated that this woman has, if I can get the Latin phrase here, spondylitis ankylopedissa. Did I get that right, anybody? Huh? 100%. I am an expert in Latin, I would like you to know. But it's, a, it's this experience where um, uh, parts of the spinal column get fused together into a curve. So, you know, it's 18 years of that development. You can, I mean, I have, you know, some issues that I experience with my feet, but having that with your back, you can just imagine how painful and frustrating and humiliating and just all these, these negative connotations to that that this has. So you have that just in general for our common experience of that. And then you add that to the ancient world where there's kind of like the sense of like, what'd you do wrong? But then also like, you're not a part of like the preferred people. So she would probably have been like on the outskirts of the community. But the thing, that, thing to note here is that she had this disabling spirit for 18 years. And the sense you get from this passage is that here she is yet again on, on Saturday for them, for worship, right? she, despite all of these difficulties, has habitually shown up to worship God on Sabbath. Like that, that's, I think, the emphasis here, is that despite these dis, this disability she experiences and the pain that comes along with that, there is, for her, a habit of coming to worship God on, sun, on Saturdays. So I'm going to keep being tempted to say Sunday mornings, but... <laughs> yeah. Just to put that in perspective, 18 years of habitually worshiping God on the Sabbath would have been 936 Sabbaths. 936 times she's shown up, despite this disability. Maybe you can imagine in 936 Sabbaths, I could imagine at some point she's uttered the phrase, God, would you heal me? At some point she's asked, God, would you see me? And yet here, on this particular Sabbath, Jesus does. That's, I think, if you kind of cut out some of the middle verses here, you have verse 10, right? Verse 11, there was a woman, and down in verse 12, there was a woman, and Jesus saw her. That's, that's the dramatic center of this passage. There was somebody in need, somebody there who had something that held them back that was a, dif is a difficulty that they experienced, and Jesus saw her. Now, the way we want to take this passage is not, therefore, God's going to see you, and we're going to all get healed of our disabilities. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that Jesus sees her, and that her example in the midst of showing up is habitually putting herself in the presence of God. 
I think that's a part of it to me, because when she is healed, which is obviously the miracle of the story, her first words are not, oh, thank you. It's not like, good grief, I'm done with that disability, or any sort of negative, like, like all you people always viewed me like this, and God sees me like this. It's, none, it's not vindictive. It's not hateful. It's not kind of like anything that we could honestly sympathize with, right? Of like, get back at people or whatever for how they treat her. It is immediately, God, thank you. Praising God for his work. Which means that when she was showing up for those 936 Sundays, or sorry, Saturdays, those 936 Saturdays, those were all a part of her putting herself in a place to be shaped to worship God for who he is. She knew who, who he is. She knew what he was like. 936 habitual practices put strung together to say, God, I know that you're a liberating God, and here on this one, he happened to see her. Often, those things that are spiritual practices for us, that shape us, they feel like they don't do anything, right? If like, think about, I don't know if you have like a morning Bible reading time, or a morning devotion time, or even Sunday worship. It's like, how many of them are like amazing? I don't know. I mean, I hope that you like my sermons, but <laughs> you know what I mean. They're not like the most profound things ever, and they get the job done. Same with our Sunday, whatever your daily practices of prayer and Bible reading. It's like, okay, yeah, this is God's word. Maybe a verse sticks out here or there. Maybe there's a prayer that you're like, yeah, I really feel connected to God with that, but not everyone does that. But this woman, I think, is an example of habitually placing herself in the presence of God so that when God does show up, the, the healing reveals what's already there. She's not having to then muster up like, how do I praise God now? It's, no, God's, I've already been shaped by just habitually putting myself in the presence of this God that I love. And when he does show up, I know what to say because I've already been saying it. That's why we have the daily office. That's why we, frankly, that's why we do Sunday worship. That's why we have small groups. It's not because any of those things are like habitual, like the most amazing thing ever. I don't know about you, I just kind of grate a little bit about like when I hear the phrase like Sunday's the best day of the week or like, some, like where people like really like, man, like worship was awesome or something like that. I'm like, I hope that it's great, but I'm not a part of this church just because it's great all the time. I mean, Nikki did a great job this morning, so. But, <laughs> you know, it's like we're here because there is, a, there is a habit of being in the presence and grace of God so that we experience who he is. And when he does show up, we've been shaped to know him. So for you, I think a question to ask is just simply, what formation practices are you committed to? because you want to encounter Jesus, even if he doesn't show up the way you want him to all the time. Whether that's Sunday morning, whether that's the daily office with daily prayer, whether that's small groups, what are the practices? I mean, you, I'm listing ones that are kind of like formal or like official things that we've kind of put together as a church. You can have other ones. That's great. I'm just saying, what are those things that put you in the place of being shaped by God in a regular way to experience his goodness to you? All right.
We're going to move on to verse 14. Jesus liberates us with deep compassion. But the ruler of the synagogue, so you have this woman who's been healed of this disease or this disability, right? But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his donkey, his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, as he said these things, all his adverse adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So I just want to, we can read this, this Pharisee and be kind of like, dude, like, what is your deal? Like, can't you just be happy for people? And again, I think there is a bit of a point that Jesus is kind of like, uh, can't you just be happy for people? But just to kind of put this in perspective, Deuteronomy, 15, Deuteronomy 5, I, I don't, sorry, I don't have this verse up on the screen. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, this is an iteration of the Ten Commandments. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath for, to the Lord your God. On it you shall, on it you shall not do any work, nor uh, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servants and your female servants may rest with you. I want to pause there. So that's kind of what the, the, the Pharisee is referring to here. He's like, look, like, healing is a work of God. Like, that, that's God doing work. And make God do work on the other six days of the week. Like, we, there's a day, this is a day for rest where you don't do anything. And Jesus' point is then to say, right, however, the exception to this command is understood to be uh, there's movement allowed for like life necessities or emergency situations. So like somebody breaks a bone, you're allowed to kind of attend to it. But, you know, you need to get up to go to the bathroom, you need to get up to get water, you need to get up to get food, like life necessities. And so Jesus is basically saying like, look, if you allow your donkeys to go get water, the appeal then is it is essential for somebody to experience liberation by God's healing, right? It's not an inconvenience to the heart of God that somebody experiences his compassion in this profound way. This isn't just something kind of like add-on. This is the essential of who God is. Because Deuteronomy 5 goes on to say, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arms. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. See, the, the purpose of what Deuteronomy 5 says, Sabbath-keeping... Sunday worship for us, Saturday worship for them. Keeping the Sabbath is primarily about experiencing the liberating power of God from our idols into his presence and goodness. Like, that's the purpose. Right? That's what God means when he says he's compassionate to us. He liberates us so that we can experience him. That's his compassion. And so Jesus is saying, look, why are you getting all bent out of shape <laughs> when I'm doing the heart of God 
for the very day and purpose of what this day is about for God's people. I see this woman, uh, sorry, the Pharisee had begun to be calcified around what he had understood to be God's ways. He had hardened around what was common, what they had understood. They, this is so common. It happens today. It happens all the time. I'm sure it's even happening within our congregation. There's ways we do it. There's ways we understand Jesus. There's ways that it's just like, this is what it means to do church. You do it a certain way. And you harden around it. God forbid somebody mix it up. God forbid something happens that shifts it just slightly. And then it becomes less about an invitation to God's liberation and liberty and more of, who do you think you are? Why are you changing this? See, Jesus' heart in this is to say, you don't have the control over the extent and borders of God's compassion. God's compassion will reach every person in one way or the other in God's way. You don't get to manage that. In fact, the reverse is true. You will never be judged for being too compassionate. You can't be judged for being too gracious. That is the heart of God, to be gracious and compassionate to us all the time. So, as we consider and experience our neighbors, there's people and ways and things that happen that are just like, that's not my thing. I'm not sure that's the way I would do that. But maybe they have experienced or are experiencing a move of God's compassion that we have an invitation to celebrate and enjoy. I'm not saying that, I'm not, I can't give examples of what that means because I, I wanted to say if you had goggles that were zeroed in on God's grace and work of compassion in our neighborhood, what would you see? Where would you see that? I think we are susceptible to losing the wonder of seeing what we see here in verse uh, 11. I'm sorry. We are susceptible to losing verse 17. All the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. We are so susceptible to losing that, losing perspective on that especially in an age where things are so polarized. I don't know where you're at on the political spectrum. The other guys have experienced God's compassion too. I, I don't like that idea because they are bad people. <laughs> you know? They have experienced God's compassion too. Whoever they are. Can we, experience, can we respond to God's invitation to rejoice at all the glorious things that are done by Jesus, even if it's by people that we don't like? Okay. We're going to end here, verse 18 to 21. This is, I think, where we get back to refer to my friend Keith Jesus' kingdom moves through simple acts. I'm going to kind of see this pull together, I think. Here are the parables that Jesus then says to interpret this compassion for this woman. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? 
It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew, and it became a tree. And the birds of the air made... Ian, no, sir. And it became... uh, Where was I at? I'm going to start in verse 19. (laughs) Are you guys getting yawning like certain members of my family? (laughs) Okay. And it is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made their nests in its branches. And again he said, What shall I compare the kingdom of God? Um, it is like a woman, uh, a woman took and hid three measures of flour. I have skipped a word. And it is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Okay. There's a few things here that I think we kind of miss um, just because different cultures, 2,000 years of separation, etc. So I'm not sure if anybody here grown mustard? Like um, anybody here? No? Okay, so just so you know, a mustard seed grows into a mustard bush. So it's not just kind of like the small thing turns into a big thing. It's actually a double miracle. The parable is this mustard seed, generally like a mustard bush is like, generally it might fill like from one column to the next here, and it might get as high as a ceiling here in this room. To me, that's a big bush. That's not a tree. When Jesus says a mustard seed into a tree, a huge tree is kind of what he has in mind, that the tree, that the birds of the air can rest in and all that stuff. That's a miracle. Like that's planting a mustard seed and getting an oak tree is kind of the idea. So it's not just kind of like small to big. He's saying the kingdom of God is like this little thing that you think is going to become something a bush. And it grows into something entirely beyond your imagination. It becomes something you couldn't have conceived. It isn't even what you planted. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And then the other parable, right, the kingdom of God is like leaven. First of all, if you would recall from a couple chapters ago, Jesus has just warned us about the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven was largely understood to be a negative connotation. It sours the bread, right? It kind of po- it, it, it changes it from being regular bread to being sourdough, right? I like sourdough, but you understand the idea, right? It sours it. And here Jesus says, I, the kingdom of God is like a woman who puts a little bit of leaven into the dough, and it becomes something else. The leaven has its own energy, right? The leaven changes the composition of the bread. And then the, the, the profound miracle here, I just want to read this because I want to get the details right. Yeast, um, the amount of uh, yeast used, three measures of flour. That's 36 quarts or about 50 pounds of dough, right? That is not your daily ration. <laughs> your daily ration is three loaves of bread of, for generally understood back then. This would have been the ration of a feast, right? So what Jesus is saying here, the kingdom of God is like this little thing that you put in this little piece of dough, but you put it in dough that's intended for a feast. And that feast is for all these different types of people, right? It starts out this little tiny thing, 
and it becomes a huge feast for all people. That's the picture when Jesus kind of says, so when I'm healing this woman, Pharisee, getting all bent out of shape, you are witnessing a mustard seed being planted or a little bit of yeast being put into bread that's purpose is to become something that you can't imagine. The purpose being, Jesus saying, these little moments, these simple expressions of kindness, these expressions of God's goodness in our lives and celebrating them, this isn't just a general idea. This is a, a Jesus idea here. Is the plan of the kingdom. So I don't know if you guys know, do you guys know Andy Gullihorn, the artist? He's a musician, singer-songwriter. If you know Andrew Peterson, he's, he's played music with Andrew Peterson for years. Andrew Peterson is, again, another musician. So they're, they're literally the only two Christian artists I listen to. He has a song called Village, and the third verse goes like this. No, I turn to the gold rule when I get stuck in my ways, when I look at the impasse and I start to lose faith. Every stranger is a neighbor. I just don't know his name. I have to love local for the world to change. I've always found that phrase, I have to love local for the world to change, to capture this picture of what the kingdom of God is like. Here we are, a small little church in the corner of Valley and Wilson, and I look at your lives and I consider all the little seeds of God's goodness in your life that you're planting and sowing week in and week out. All the ways I see each of you loving Jesus, loving your neighbor, doing the simplicity of the kingdom work. And it's not huge and flashy. It's not huge and big. But that's the purpose of these parables. They are the mercy and compassion of God that when planted, become a tree. When put into dough, becomes a feast. You are doing the kingdom of God. Like, that's the point. What is it like to be missional? What is it like to be joining the kingdom of big language? To do what you're doing. Love Jesus. Love your spouse if you're married. To find ways to love your coworkers where you work. But the point here in the midst of all of this is that Jesus' quiet kingdom liberates us into his renewing rest. I hope as we kind of talk through this, the rest is, you know, I am, I am putting my, myself in the place to know and love Jesus. I, I do experience his goodness. It's not mountaintops the way I would like, but all seeds that are planted to be bushes that become trees, who knows what we're planting. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we talk through and experience your kingdom here among us, that we would experience your smile and rest, and that we would enjoy your presence with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, 
proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.